Welcome to episode 97 of season 2 of the Search with Candor podcast. I am your host, Jack Chambers Ward, and joining me is a returning guest all the way back from 2020. That's right, it's episode 51 of season 1, and my returning guest is the one and only Seb Atkinson, who is currently the international technical SEO lead over at NerdWallet. Seb and I are going to be diving into Interact to Next Paint. That's right, INP in all its gory details are going to be discussed on this week's episode, and Seb really knows his stuff. It's really, really cool to dive into such a technical topic with someone who really, really knows what they're talking about. It's always fun for me to learn more about this kind of stuff, and basically why you should be caring about INP, even though it's only November and it doesn't actually officially become part of Core Web Vitals until March next year. Before I get to my conversation with Seb, of course, I'd like to say a huge thank you to the podcast sponsor, the one and only Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. And if you go to systrix.com slash SWC, that stands for Search with Candor, you can get trials of their free tools and you can get a free trial of their fantastic premium service as well. I regularly mention the Google Update Radar as part of their fantastic tools. Recommend you go and check that out, by the way. But... In particular, let's dive into that because we're looking at the recent fallout of the core update that happened throughout October. And Steve Payne from Systrix has got an article up on the Systrix blog all about the data, the fallout essentially, the biggest winners, the biggest losers, all that kind of stuff. We're talking to people like Yandex, The Chive, everything from heycar.co.uk to wallstreetmojo.com and everything in between, lots of different losers. And what I really, really like is the team over at Systrix adds a little note next to it of what could be causing that drop. They're potentially hacked. Potentially they move something or migrated something or changed one of their directories. They don't just say, hey, this is it, end of the story, and all that kind of stuff, right? They actually give you the reasoning behind it and the potential cause of that drop in visibility that was potentially interacting and, and noticed by that Google update. Of course, plenty of other stuff going on, some gains and some winners as well. Some forum sites winning, uh, kind of build upon the LinkedIn advice stuff we were talking about a little while ago. Mark and I brought up the AI-generated LinkedIn articles that have kind of been um, not in a great place, to be honest, in terms of visibility. Uh, Steve dives into that in a bit more detail. Also, typically, of course, see a bunch of dictionary sites in there as well. And... Uh, how else do I say this? Unsurprisingly, if, if you're an SEO, right, and you're listening to this podcast and you're guessing what are the two domains that have gained the most visibility from these Google updates, I'm guessing you would be thinking Reddit and Quora, right? In terms of total percentage gain on their previous visibility, Reddit.com and Quora.com. I assume you've seen them a lot in the SERP recently. I know we have. I know Mark and I have been talking about this a lot recently. And... Systrix's data confirms that. It's not just us being cynical old SEOs. It is actually true. Go to systrix.com slash blog. Go and read this article in full. It is a full breakdown of pretty much everything. And the fallout of the recent Google updates. If you've been affected by it, you might be able to pick through some data and understand why and how you've been affected by it here as well. Diving into Systrix's visibility index and having a look at the overall bigger picture of stuff can really, really help 
fine-tune those details and give you a better picture of what's happening for you, your sites, and your clients as well. So like I said, go to systrix.com slash blog and check out the latest core update, review, and analysis from the Systrix team. So you may know my guest from episode 51 of season one of the podcast all the way back. I think it was around about when the pandemic kicked in in March 2020, which is terrifying to say, <laughs> all of three and a half years ago. You have more than 10 years of experience in search marketing. You've been a judge for both the UK Search Awards and the Global Search Awards, both UK and global. And you are currently the international technical SEO lead at NerdWallet. Welcome back to the show, Seb Atkinson. Thank you. Good to be back. I think this is probably the longest gap you've had between guests, I'm guessing. <laughs> I think you're one of the few people who's been back oh, okay. at all. Like a lot of people, we've had a couple of people who have done like little guest spots and little like I've met them at Brighton SEO and interviewed them there and stuff like that. But a full double episode is a rare occasion. Search for and you've done a Mark and a Jack now as well. So both, you're like, both you're hosts. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we'll just have to work out which one's your favorite afterwards. We will, but uh, I don't know. It uh, helps that you probably know Mark about 10 years longer than you've known me. But <laughs> And he's a big inspiration, you know, not just with SEO, but with hairstyle as well, which I've copied. <laughs> I have got a lot more hair than both of you put together. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we met at Search Norwich, funnily enough, speaking of meeting at events and stuff, we met at Search Norwich 12 and we'd been following each other for a while. I know I'd been aware of your work. I'd listened to you on the podcast before because I was a listener before I was a host and we were chatting away and I know you're super technically minded and I've been conscious of wanting to get more technical topics and stuff like that on the show. We've had a lot of different diverse topics on the show and you went INP and I was like, cool, we have touched on that so briefly. Mark and I highlighted it in the news a few months ago where we're talking about being introduced. Google made an official announcement It's going to be rolling out next year. This listeners is the episode to learn all about INP, why you should care about it and what it is, right? So we're going to dive into all of that over the next half an hour or so and really cover INP and why you should care about it because it's going to be coming soon in 2024, right? Certainly is. <laughs> so should we start with what is INP? Should we start with the basics and kind of define it with in the context of like Core Web Vitals and stuff, right? Absolutely, yeah. Let's take a step back to Core Web Vitals for anyone who doesn't understand that or maybe has heard of it and seen it in Search Console. Um, so yeah, Core Web Vitals... Um, it's a set of measurements that Google uses or makes available to us um, to kind of measure uh, user interactivity on the website and particularly around page speed. Um, there's a whole host of different parts of Core Web Vitals. I think it's something like six, six yeah, different metrics. Yeah. Um, and INP is a new one that's coming. Uh, it's going to be part of Core Web Vitals in March next year. Uh, so it's coming soon. Um, it's replacing... Uh, a different metric called uh, first input delay, which we'll go into a little bit yep, later yep. on. But um, I think one of the things people need to be aware of, just in case, if um, because there's different like page speed tools. There's the other one called page speed insights, and I think a lot of people seem to be quite focused on that one. A lot of people rely on that one, I think, as like, the go-to, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I think maybe we'll touch on the difference between them um, because they're quite different in how they work. So Coreware Vitals is actually based on field data so real people coming on the website um it's measuring your site um when you go into search console and you go to the performance section and look at core web vitals you might find actually the number of pages listed there isn't the same as the number of pages on your website yeah. and that's actually because it takes a sample of pages 
and they, those pages have to reach the traffic threshold for it to yeah. give you a call by advice or score. I've had entire clients where it's just like, nope, you get nothing. You've got not got you're small enough that you don't have enough users, so we don't have enough sample of data. So you're not getting anything essentially. <laughs> Absolutely. So the difference is PageSpeed Insights is a synthetic benchmark. So it's trying to approximate um, your page speeds. Whereas Core Web Vitals, it's taking actual user data through Chrome. So I believe it's Chrome users. Yep. Uh, and it's providing that information back to you uh, and giving you just, uh, you know, using Google's metrics of measuring responsiveness, page load speed, um, all those kind of UX factors. Um, and giving you access to that and then allowing you to optimize the performance of your website using those metrics. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing because I think, like you said, a lot of people focus on PageSpeed Insights and focus on Core Web Vitals in a very minute scale and don't really think about it in the wider context of usability. And you kind of, you know, you see a, a tra classic SEO traffic light system, right? Of like everything's green, everything's fine. It's like, not necessarily. That's not quite how it works. And other examples of like worrying about do I have enough users? Are you getting the right data? If it says good on one, but bad on another, which one should you trust? And all this kind of stuff. I think we're going to dive into a lot of different sides of like how it changes from FID, which I think is really interesting as well. It's something Mark and I touched upon. And I think it has a lot to say about the direction that Google is going in general with how much it is focusing on user interaction with sites. Well, we've seen this so much with GA4 about how much uh, engagement and event triggering and stuff is now the thing that everybody wants to track. INP, I think, is a big part of that and how people want to, uh, sorry, how Google wants to track how users are interacting with sites more accurately and more representative of actual user data, right? Yeah, and I think it's important to actually, um, you know, re remember those differences between PageSpeed Insights. And, um, you know, I saw a thread on LinkedIn earlier today, actually, about um, how PageSpeed Insights is a bit of like a, a vanity metric, someone mm. puts it. And, um, yeah, I'd agree to an extent because um, it's obviously a synthetic benchmark. Um, and you can use that to an extent, um, but then that might not actually represent how customers or users actually experience your website. And that's where Core Web Vitals and soon IMP I think it's going to be quite important for actually understanding, yeah, how responsive is the site? Yeah, and I know we talked about Core Web Vitals. If you don't know already, it is a confirmed ranking factor, but it's a fairly weak one, right? I think what we often describe it as is like the the tiebreaker. It's not going to be the game changer. It's not going to suddenly 10x your traffic or 100x your traffic overnight. But if you're coming up against stiff competition and you can beat out the competition in that way, that might be the difference maker that tips the scale in your favor, right? 100%. Yeah, it is kind of like a tiebreaker. Um, I think I'd probably say one thing to start with. Um, there's a lot of noise in, uh, you know, LinkedIn, lots of people talking about page speed. I think it's a hot topic. Um, but actually, let's not get too carried away because uh, <laughs> it's not going to, you know, having perfect page speeds, it's not going to move the needle compared to, say, content, you know, yeah. good content. That's People say it's like number one ranking factor. Well. I mean, without content, you can't rank. So is it I really a ranking factor? I hate that phrase factor? so much. Yeah, it doesn't Google's like, oh, the sense. most important thing is content. Like, yeah, of course it is. If you don't have anything written on the page, then what? Like, of course it is. That's, Absolutely. that's the definition of a web page, right? Like, without content, it doesn't exist. Absolutely. So um, I think it's important to, when we think about Core Web Vitals and INP and optimizing for that, um, maybe let's forget about the SEO side of things. Mm. I think probably more importantly, the reason why you're doing it is to give your customers and your users a good experience and probably put that at the forefront. So, you know, when you're thinking about uh, what's the value of uh, optimizing for core web vitals, yeah, UX is the reason to do it. I'd yeah. probably say SEO 
not really a reason to do it. Uh, yeah, it's going to give you a bit of a benefit, but actually um, you've got to weigh that up against your other priorities and, you know, the kinds of content you're creating and um, is a juice worth the squeeze, I think is always worth asking when you're, when you're dealing with things like this. That's definitely something we'll get into in a bit as well, talking about, you know, the, the resources required behind this and the payoff and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Like if you're thinking about it purely in terms of ranking and ranking factors, chances are getting a developer or half a dozen developers or an entire team of developers fixing a bunch of core web vital stuff, it's probably not worth your time. But if you're looking at it from a UX perspective, and I think a lot of the conversation that's been happening recently, I've seen it at a few different conferences and talks and, and even podcasts as well, how much SEO and UX are becoming more and more intertwined and related to each other. Right? They're more important and we need to stop thinking about them as two completely separate things. Like Just because it's not a ranking factor doesn't mean it can't be a beneficial experience for your site, for your client, for your users. And they are intrinsically linked because <laughs> users are going to be on your site either way, right? <laughs> so let's dive into the kind of timeline. You mentioned it's coming early next year. March 2024 is when Google's predicting. So when do we not need to start about thinking about starting to optimize for it and start to think about having these conversations with our developers and stuff like that? Yeah, it's important. Um, you know, important thing about it right now, actually, um, so there's actually a stat that Google put out. Um, they've got some, you know, documentation on why they've implemented uh, INP. Um, so the stat is 93% of websites have good first input delay scores. And, and remember, that's the old metric that they're currently using. However, based on the data they have at the moment, only 65% of sites that they look at has good INP scores. That's a pretty big difference. Absolutely. It's 93 to 65 is a pretty It's not like 5 or 10%. It's a nearly 30% difference. That's pretty significant. Absolutely. And, and that's why it's important to, you know, start thinking about that because those uh, those remaining sites that uh, aren't meeting the mark, um, you know, it likely means that there's there are some usability issues on the website. So it's definitely a good idea to start thinking about that and maybe putting that into a roadmap for Q1. Uh, if you think it's important uh, and remember you can go into um, search console and it will show you if you've got uh, groups of pages uh, that aren't meeting the mark in terms of INP so you can get that data already Google to me uh, you know I think a lot of people say um, the fact that Google's making that available and it's actually you know Google announced INP was coming back in I think it was April 22 yeah so it's been a, you know been around for a bit of time as an experimental feature the fact that Google are, are pushing it uh, and making that data available, a lot of people are saying um, that's kind of showing how important it is, the fact yeah. that they want sites to be successful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, I, mean, th I think as soon as Google says this is important, we should listen, granted with a big grain of salt sometimes because you, know, you never know with Google. But when they build up on this sort of stuff and especially when they give you cold, hard data to go with that thing before it's even officially launched, that's a clear sign that it's going to be something that we should be thinking about and considering and trying to kind of get ahead of the curve, right? And rather than waiting like, oh, it launched in March, so I'm going to worry about this in April, you're going to, chances are you're going to be behind, especially if you're in a big competitive niche and working on sites where this is going to be the tiebreaker for a big kind of thing like this. And when it comes to sites that have millions and millions of users, if our listeners are working on big client sites and, and working in-house and stuff like that, that can be a huge difference between getting what is now, what, a four-month lead and being a month behind. It's like a massive, massive difference. 100%. I think also just um, 
there's been so many studies that link, uh, you know, responsive experiences and fast page load speeds uh, with, um, you know, better conversion rates. Mm. Um, I remember, uh, you know, 2015, I think there was a KISS metric stat that I always use to, to my clients. Um, so it's been something that's been known for a while that customers want fast yeah. and responsive websites. So, um, yeah, think about the, you know, think about the potential benefits for a, a conversion rate point of view. Um, a lot of people are talking about it from that perspective. So, yeah, yeah. I think like I said, with UX and stuff and that being such a key part of it, something I was talking to one of our e-commerce clients about the other day was like thinking about the actual user, like how they are moving around on the site, how are they navigating? Are they using internal links? Are they using the breadcrumbs? Are they doing this sort of stuff? And what is the delay between those two? Is there a low difference between going through two steps of a breadcrumb going back to the parent category or just clicking on a parent category page how much of a difference is those two extra clicks is that a five second difference is that if it's a 10 second difference you're in trouble like that's going to make a huge huge difference and i um, was experiencing something with my wife the other day where she was trying to click on something i think it was an instagram ad that was taking her to uh, chrome on her phone and it just took forever and i was like i tried to load it and it did the same thing just by typing in the url i was like this is unusable and i know we talk about we're gonna in a sec we'll talk about like milliseconds and all this kind of stuff measuring very small measurements but it can make a huge difference and i know again my wife does not work in seo she has no context for ux she does not work in tech at all but it's user experiences right it is the difference between getting that sale and somebody maybe never ever coming back to your site and being like oh I had such a frustrating time on Jack's site the other day. I'm never buying from them again. Or a loyal customer that will buy from you for the next five years. Absolutely. And thinking back to that Kiss Metrics, that uh, if I can still remember it, I think it was something <laughs> like if you have to wait over two seconds, then 40% of customers will just leave. There you um, go. So, yeah. And that was 2015 or something like that. <laughs> it's going to be even worse now or even even more dramatic <laughs> now. Right? Is Kiss Metrics still around? <laughs> I don't uh, know. Yeah, I don't clue, know. But... Shout, shout out to Kiss Metrics if you ask about that. <laughs> um, so let's talk about what it means and guess how it differs from first input delay. So get into defining INP, what it stands for, all that kind of stuff, and why we're changing from FID to INP. Absolutely. So yeah, maybe let's start with FID, first input delay, um, and talk about that and then uh, why it's different and, and what the limitations were. So um, yeah, Google actually released a blog post on their development blog um, talking about FID. Um, you know the, the limitations are quite well known i think they're aware of it because they've put this post out so first input delay uh the clue is kind of in the name of, of that <laughs> core web vitals it's only looking at the input delay of the first click a user will do on the website so for example then let's say i've loaded up a web page um i might click on an accordion um it's only looking at the input delay of me pressing the click it's not actually looking at the entire length of time it takes for that accordion to then expand yeah. and that for that for that to go into the browser and be displayed to me as the user so um kind of not super reliable because it's only actually capturing part of that interaction and of course also it's only capturing the very first interaction i do on the page so there are the limitations and and obviously google knows that um you know you might be on the web page for some time if you think about like uh I don't know, a calculator or a tool or any page that's got a lot of interactivity. Yeah, you could absolutely. be on that page for, you know, minutes. And um, making dozens and dozens exactly. of clicks, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a huge thing where you kind of, you stop and start on that first click. It doesn't tell you about the actual experience. I hate keep using the word user experience, but the, the journey that the customer is going through or you as a user are going through where 
You could be scrolling up and down, like you said, take an FAQ page, you're opening a bunch of accordions, or maybe there's a YouTube video that you're going to watch. There's a bunch of other stuff that is interactable, calculators and, and different infographics and stuff like that. You're not taking into account so much of the data. And because you're dealing with a web page that loads, you're going to spend most of your time after it loads, right? Like 90% of 100%. a user's time on a page is spent after it loads because of course it is. Like that, that seems so like intuitive when you say it out loud, but actually thinking about it, it is mad that you just measure that initial click and nothing after that because so much of a user's experience on a website 90% of it is after that first click. So you're really only getting a tiny little sliver of that data. Right? That's it. Uh, and that's not super useful for marketers because obviously uh, you're just not capturing the whole yeah. experience. You might think that your site's doing well. I think that's that we talked about. 93% of sites had good FID uh, metrics, but now only 65% uh, have good INP metrics. And obviously we'll come into that in a moment and why it's better. But it kind of that, that disparity between the metrics kind of shows um, you know, FID, was it actually a good metric? Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, Google's come up with something better now. So, yeah, um, yeah shall we drill into that? Absolutely. Let's yeah. dive in. So, INP, interac interaction to next paint. So, um, there's a few differences. So, first of all, instead of just looking at the first interaction, so, you know, the first accordion I click on the web page, um, it's looking at all the interactions across the entire lifecycle of the page. Um, and then the, the, the other part of that acronym, next paint. Um, that's quite important as well because um, what that means is uh, INP is actually looking at the entire process of the interaction. So remember with first input delay, uh, it only looked at the first part of the interaction, uh, it's now looking at the subsequent part. So um, there's the input delay, there's the event handler, so that's the, you know, in the back end um, responding to that click um, and then actually that following through to painting the front end. So that, for example, you know, that frame, Think about it on the computer, I guess, yeah, yeah. when you have your next frame of a computer game, kind of like that, <laughs> uh, generating the next frame. So yeah. it's looking at the entire life cycle of an interaction across the entire life cycle of uh, the page itself. So much more reliable. Um, yeah, and just a clearer picture of uh, yeah. what's going on on the website. I think that's the key thing, right? It's giving you the full picture. Like, I think using the, the frame or like a painting is really a way to think about it. Like the way old CRT monitors, yes, I'm old enough to remember CRT monitors, listeners where it literally scrolls across and like creates it. Or you had an old modem back in the day, back in the, the olden days again, listeners, where an, an image would take like 30 seconds to load or a minute or five minutes to load. And now we just kind of get stuff instantly. We're so used to that. But the way actually the next frame comes along can make a huge difference. And not everything on the page is necessarily going to load at the same speed. An accordion won't necessarily load at the same speed as a calculator or an infographic or whatever. So actually getting that full picture of the entire responsiveness throughout the page lifecycle is a much better and much more accurate representation of what the, actor is, the user is actually experiencing throughout that period, right? Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about how do we measure it then. I guess we're going to talk about timings because we're still talking about load speeds and stuff, right? So how do we measure good, bad? What's the kind of process there for looking at, I guess, looking into Search Console and the kind of numbers we can expect to see in there? Yeah, so um, just like all the other metrics in Core Web Vitals, um, Google gives you uh, those benchmarks of different scores that you need to hit to have a good needs improvement or a poor score. So for good, those interactions have to average under 20 milliseconds. For needs improvement, it has to be under 500 milliseconds. And for poor, it has to be over 
500 milliseconds. Obviously, these sound like really small numbers. <laughs> um, so it's like, uh, wow, that's like pretty granular. But obviously, for a user, you know, that can feel like a, a long time um, considering and, people's uh, ex- expectations around, yeah. um, you know, clicking something and waiting for that to appear. You'd ex- expect it to be instant. And that's why that 200 milliseconds is, is so important because it's it's almost uh, impossible to kind of detect it, I guess, for, for a human. Yeah, um, I think there's a few things that are more frustrating when you go to click something and it doesn't quite do it or you go to scroll or whatever it is and it doesn't quite react or you scroll and then you flick on your phone and... There's that delay and it finally jumps through and Absolutely. finally like scrolls forward. And, and in the Google's documentation, they actually have a really good animation just to yes. illustrate it. And it's it's a little bit, maybe a little bit over the top, but it's <laughs> um I, I keep giving the um you know, I've given the accordion example a yeah. couple times because that's the one that Google uses. And they've got uh, one version where someone clicks it, nothing happens, they click it again. Actually the first interaction was still taking place. So the accordion opens then immediately shuts again. Um, so obviously that's frustrating. I think, uh, yeah. you know, maybe that was more common in the old days. Maybe it's still common on those 65% of sites that um, have a poor scores. Yeah, um, I think that talks about how it relates to stuff like cumulative layout shift as well, right? Because that's such a common thing. Google use that as an example, especially for e-commerce sites where, oh, you try and cancel an order and accidentally you buy stuff. That is like worst case scenario that Google always uses where the whole uh, sort of add to cart area or checkout area shifts as you're trying to click actually cancel or go back a page or whatever and you accidentally click check out and you go through that process and you accidentally buy something you weren't looking to buy or you're looking to change it this adds to that kind of like oh i'm trying to interact with something and then by the time it's actually loaded up you're clicking it and closing it or opening another thing in that time and that slows the whole process down and it just makes a very unpleasant user experience yeah, in total. The layout shift, I think that's something I've experienced. It really, really bugs me. I'm very impatient. And then, <laughs> you know, when you're on the news website, you know where you want to click because you've been on the site hundreds of times. Then suddenly an ad pops oh, up those just ads, as man. you're about to click it. You click the ads, you're off on another website. Um, yeah, so frustrating. And then the accordion example, I think um, I think uh, expect a lot of yeah. listeners can relate to that. Yeah, I'll, I'll put that link in the show notes, listeners, so you can go and check out that little uh, animation. When Mark and I talked about it, we actually stole that and had that on the video version. So uh, if you listen to that episode, you've seen the little interaction before as well. Um, okay, so we've got 500 milliseconds as kind of the borderline of, of poor, essentially. Then 200 milliseconds is good. What kind of things affect this kind of stuff? What causes those latencies and, and how can we think about that in terms of the processing time and the delay behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well first of all, before we move on to that, um, Sorry, in terms yeah. of the metrics, I think it's probably just worth saying it. Um, it, it those metrics exclude those, uh, you know, the outliers. So above the 75th percentile, I'm not very good with math. So I think it's below or above. I'm not sure. But basically it will, um, you know, filter out those, uh, you know, you think about like your users might be uh, up a mountain with uh, 2G, <laughs> if that still exists. Uh, they're struggling to get the page low. So those will be filtered out. So the idea is the metrics represent the, the vast majority of your users. So um, I think that would speak to it being a reliable metric to use. I remember hearing it was a based on a, there's a particular like standard of phone and a connection that is a 3G something, something that was like the global average of like internet load speeds, essentially. Because like you said, you could be up a mountain or being like an incredibly fast, you know, somewhere like Korea who has like some of the fastest internet in the world. Or like even de- like developing countries are now getting faster and faster internet, but are relying on things like three G, four G, rather than there's no infrastructure there to have like wired internet and yeah. stuff like that. So 
and that, that might kind of be stuff. one of those uh, page speeds, insights, metrics, where it's simulated like that. Yeah. And let's also remember that this is real users. So, exactly. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. thinking about like, uh, well, are your are your users, uh, you know, in a rural setting, are they in countries where the internet infrastructure is not yeah. very good? That kind of gets reflected in I, this data because it's real. So yeah. uh, that's why it's useful. I can literally travel like seven miles north to go and visit my parents in North Norfolk. And it is game changing going from living here in Norwich to out in the middle of nowhere in North Norfolk. And it drops from like, you know, 50, 60 megabits per second to like four. And that can make a huge, huge difference in terms of loading things and uh, just doing basic browsing and basic internet interactions, essentially. Um, so, yeah, let's get into what, what kind of factors affect this latency. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I think thinking back to, um, you know, what is IMP? Um, we talked about the input delay, so that was something that FID already used. Um, so that can add delay because, um, you know, that's already a factor. And I guess based on the 93% of sites that already have that nailed, uh, it's potentially the case that many listeners will already have that sorted out. Yeah. Um, so the other things that, um, that that the metric looks at is the processing time. So again, uh, let's say I've clicked on the accordion, uh, there's a bit of processing time. Uh, for that interaction to kind of go back and then, uh, you know, be acted upon. So that's something that adds a bit of delay. Um, and then after that, there, there's potential for the, um, what we call like the presentation delay. So that's the time it takes for the browser to then give you the next frame of that interaction. Um, and that's at the point that when the uh, the metric stops recording, yeah. if you kind of consider it like that. So uh, all three of those things, they're, they're all the areas where you might experience um, that latency. All of that adds up to give you a score hopefully under 200 milliseconds if it's not crossed. 500 or if it's after <laughs> if it's more than that then um yeah check your uh check your search console make sure it's not too much if it is too much um going back on what i said earlier i think that's probably something you need to think about as um um you know something you should do yeah because I, I think those it seems like not that much of a difference right between 200 and 500 milliseconds if you're trying to like count it or like think about it in terms of like normal everyday life a macro life then i would not be able to tell you how long that is or like you know tap something that is like you know you, you get those like speed test reaction test kind of things on the internet where you have to hit how quickly you tap this button twice and all that kind of thing absolutely but that adds up right it yeah. makes it, eventually that adds up you when you've got input you've got process and presentation if you're adding 300 milliseconds on each of those that's suddenly an entire extra second and that's a massive difference between less than half a second to almost an entire second. And if there's any Formula One fans listening, then you'll know how long <laughs> half a second is. So, um, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it, <laughs> it can be a huge, huge difference. And I think because we think about it in such tiny little measurements and it's so hard to kind of picture and visualize and stuff, thinking about how it all adds up is really helps me kind of think about how to visualize it. Because I probably couldn't tell you... The, if you gave me two examples of a of a like separate examples of a page loading, this one's two hundred milliseconds, this one's four hundred, five hundred milliseconds. I'm like, I don't know, probably that one. You'd kind of be guessing, right? Because the human uh, eye it can only process data so quickly, human brains can only process data so quickly. But that all adds up, and suddenly you get, like you said, when you get to like half a second, and it's the difference between being a world champion and not being a world mm. champion, or getting your next big customer and not getting your next big customer, that can be a big, big difference, right? Definitely. <laughs> um, so then we're talking about earlier on, we kind of mentioned was getting other people involved, talking your development team, 
getting buy-in that's a a whole other topic for for another day but we'll we'll get into it a little bit here we'll talk about how to have this conversation with developers how to have this conversation with stakeholders and i think a lot of it will come back to this kind of conversation right i love using those kind of analogies you're talking about like oh f1 stuff and like pitching that to your ceo or you know the, the the client in in many cases for us working in agency side where you've got to get them invested in this thing and they just see 200 milliseconds versus 500 milliseconds like cool i don't care what does that mean that mm. what how does that affect my business how does that affect you know it's like oh that's the difference between getting this customer and not getting this customer and they purchased a hundred thousand pounds worth of stuff or like they did one thing that is now the lifetime value of that customer is potentially millions You're like oh now i do care <laughs> right? yeah i think you've hit the nail on the head there you know talking about the value that it brings um and we've talked about um maybe this is more of a ux metric than an seo one because maybe the uh seo benefits quite small unless your site's extremely slow then you might see a bit more of an improvement um but i guess uh you know the point you just made there about the value that's something that uh, stakeholders understand um developers understand that everyone understands the value that comes from uh you know um making it faster, making it easier to transact. Um, developers probably understand um, doing something for the customer's benefit more than, uh, you know, these nonsense numbers to, to them. Like, uh, what is core advice? If, yeah. if you haven't heard of that before, that's a very difficult thing to sell. But I think everyone's heard of revenue. Everyone's, you know, if, unless you're working in non-profit, then that's <laughs> yeah. something um, it that cold, drives hard, it. Cold hard cash is the cold universal cash, language, right? Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> capitalism, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's like something that's uh, maybe a bit easier to understand for um, trying to get buy-in for people who yeah, maybe yeah. are less familiar with SEO, um, uh, but they understand UX, I think. Um, and a lot of people kind of pitch it that way. Um, think about the UX metric. I think a lot, a lot of people have been talking about this recently. Um, so that's a good way of... Um, you know, if you see there's some problems with core web vitals because of INP and you need to get this ready for when it comes in, um, talking about the the UX aspect, talking about how that could potentially impact revenue or transactions, um, it, it's just something that's a bit easier to understand for, for a lot of people. Yeah, I think getting that kind of buy-in with the developers and having the conversation with them from a technical aspect is a huge part of that as well. And, and kind of like like you said, translating it rather than saying oh if we improve this by 300 milliseconds we'll go up from rank four to rank one we'll be in position one like that doesn't mean anything to even most seos really let's be realistic like that's not going to happen but being able to get real data we use come with the point of like this is real user data i am not just generating this This is not just from some tool somewhere this is real actual you know chrome user data that we are showing you here and i think that in and of itself can be a huge difference. I've had that similar conversation using sort of like tracking tools uh, like Hotjar and stuff like that and getting those kind of like, this is how people are actually interacting with your site. This isn't just a guess. This is a real person who got frustrated and left the site and didn't purchase that basket or whatever. And saying this is a real user, I think can be a huge difference between like, yeah, this is simulated and this is an actual real interaction, right? Absolutely. I think there's a lot of... (sighs) communication stuff as well i think again coming around to like ceo stuff translating it and and being able to use that data in a way where it makes sense i think again makes a huge impact and and a difference there as well but also reporting on it because i know a lot of us in seo especially agency side and i know for you guys in-house as well thinking (laughs) about the process of like reporting that to 
long-term reporting so like whether it's a monthly thing quarterly thing bi-yearly thing biannual thing whatever it is um how do you think that's kind of best represented in terms of like going forward and including that in your in your reports and things like that yeah i guess it comes back to how important it is for the individual website so mm. if it, if let's say um you're listening to this you check your call web vitals information you check imp and you see you're one of those sites that has uh maybe a poor metric then um yeah i guess uh um as we've said like turn that into the value that it might bring yeah um potentially estimate uh yeah how much revenue you could be missing out on potentially so um that's kind of getting the uh the interest in that topic um and then i guess it's a case of um you know connecting with people in the company or the client um that are interested in um improving that revenue so if it's a developer who's interested in that or really has an interest in page speed and performance then also getting their buy-in because yeah, uh, yeah. involving the developers in this. Um, so someone I follow, um, Christine Nazaranko, she's obviously well Christine's known. Christine's the best, yeah. yeah. well known for technical SEO. And I think one of the main points she makes is um, uh, to be good in technical SEO, you don't need to be a developer. Uh, <laughs> I like that because it means you can kind of, you know, you can involve your development team in those challenges. Um, and if you can find someone who is interested in that, uh, maybe they're not so interested in the SEO side of things, but as we've said, this is probably more um you know i think even google says it's more relevant for ux because it is measuring a ux factor and obviously it's something google's made available to us yeah. um but but having their buy in um giving them a chance to shine really um you know you can point out those areas where the pages are maybe not doing too well work with the developer you can make them aware of these three parts of imp that cause latency um, you can do some of those uh, uh, simulated tests to maybe try and identify some of the areas yeah, yeah. that might be causing a problem. Um, but it's a good chance to actually let the developer potentially lead some of this work. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people um, working in teams, um, it's just a good way to get buy-in because <laughs> you're actually sharing the sharing yeah. responsibility, but you're sharing the success of actually getting this fixed. Yeah. Um, and if it then can be you know quantified back to so that, so the original goal of revenue. You can then quantify it. You can see that not only can you see the core advisor scores improve, hopefully there's an improvement in revenue or whatever other metric yeah, that you're absolutely. tracking. Um, so it's a good one to potentially share out um, if you can make that connection with, um, you know, a, a UX goal. Um, yeah, I think that's a huge part of it, right? Like rather than, because uh, as much as we complain about developers being SEOs, developers have the same relationship with us, but in reverse, right? We're like, Oh, SEO is always coming in, demanding something, some tiny little tweak that's going to change the rankings and then it doesn't and all this kind of stuff. It's building that, again, we're getting to very like very off technical stuff now, but I still think it's relevant where you're building a rapport with them, right? You're, you're, you have to show some empathy and understand like, okay, if we work together on this project, this isn't just an SEO thing. This isn't just a development thing. This isn't just a UX thing. It's everything coming together. This is the site and this is you know, I've spoken to this person, they say this, I've got this data that says this, we can work together and make a big difference here. That is a huge difference between like, hey, can you do this thing for me? Like approaching it in a way where we are working together on this thing and it is a mutual goal. You'd hope that would kind of be the case in a company anyway, but that's not always the case. Yeah. And the tensions between SEOs and developers, I think, are always present in any office or any agency. And one of the things <laughs> I've heard about, you know, developer relationships is... Um, I guess some people, well, these are stories I've heard. Some people make the mistake as an SEO of uh, just continually coming to a developer with uh, fixes. It's like, okay, we need to fix this. Okay, now we need to look at, um, yeah, IMP. Uh, 
fix the problem. Okay, now we need to look at this. Um, but how is that going to uh, motivate the developer to actually work on it when actually maybe a good approach is to, um, sh you know, share the share that work with them. Um, think about, I think one of the phrases I said earlier on was, is the juice worth the squeeze? So yeah, really exactly. like thinking about that um, and not bombarding your developer with uh, too many <laughs> requests because actually they still have to balance all your SEO requests against everything else because yeah. let's not forget they're, they're going to be working on all sorts of other projects that yeah. aren't SEO. Um, yeah, we mentioned like, oh, there's interactive elements to the site. They don't just appear out of nowhere, right? If you've got an infographic or a, or a calculator or whatever it is, like that has to be built by somebody as well. And to understand and to be empathetic towards their priorities and the probably dozens and dozens of tickets that they're, they're dealing with on their system. So they're like, hey, by the way, I need the IMP improved by 400 milliseconds in the next week. Be like, cool. Is that juice worth a squeeze? How, how high priority really is this? And how can you work with them to understand where that fits in their queue and their sprint, right? And that's a good point, actually, working with them to, um, you know, not just understand uh, when to fit it in, but also what is the priority? What is yeah. going to give you the juice that gives you the squeeze? Or is it the other way around? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, what's important, um, you can work with them. That, you know, as a, as a developer, that's kind of more their area. As an SEO, you can give them the data that Google gives you. Um, you can work with them, help, uh, let them identify those areas to improve the speed, um, measure it afterwards, uh, and report back to them, report yeah. back about the progress. Um, and then you can ask them the question, uh, what other opportunities are there to improve the speed? Uh, and obviously at some point you'll reach that level of diminishing returns. Um, so yeah, that's why a lot of people just recommend, you know, um, Obviously, do your high high priority items, the, the ones that your developers identified as uh, going to make a big impact. Do those, um, but at some point, um, actually, it's not really worth doing all those things. And then, you know, it gives you the or gives the developers a time in their roadmap to do all the other all the other things that people are asking of them. Yeah, definitely. I think there's that process of like iteration and testing and all that kind of thing, right? Where you can kind of benchmark yourself beforehand and have a look at it a couple of weeks later once it's been implemented and then a couple of weeks after that and make sure everything's... And then as you just totally rightly said there, that can then... You fix one thing, as always is the case, that'll probably uncover something else. And then you're building that, again, coming back around to relationships and stuff, but also you're then building upon that for the benefit of the site, right? You can find one thing, like, oh, turns out all the accordions are super, super slow we have fixed this thing and now everyone and all the different teams across the site say it's a massive site with big international teams and all this kind of stuff. Suddenly, everyone has this fix that they can now implement across the different teams and all the accordions are now working much better and, you know, the international team is working the same as the domestic team and everything's all working together so you all benefit from that. And coming back and testing that and rechecking it and getting other people's opinions and kind of like, New users are going to be coming to the site all the time. You're always adding new stuff, especially if you're adding new things that are going to be interactive. You need to be able to test and check that as you go, right? And and make sure you're aware of the changes you're making and the benefits and potential, I guess, kind of uh, holding back it can do to the site as well. So I think the last thing we have there is, um, you know, Google gave some recommendations mm. on the process on, yep. on how you can actually iterate through this and um, uh, how you should think about optimizing your site. So... Um, first of all, uh, I think going back to what we said at the very start of this was um, using that field data. So remember that Core Web Vitals is real user data. Um, it's reached a threshold to make sure it's reasonably reliable. 
Um, you can then verify that with the lab data. Um, so using Lighthouse, uh, the PageSpeed Insights tool that is, um, and that helps you kind of identify um, those, uh, you know, those issues that might exist. Um, obviously working with a developer, you can then drill down into that. You can use their expertise, definitely leverage their expertise to uh, identify those aspects yeah. and like what groups of pages are affected, um, eliminate those factors that cause the, uh, the delays. Um, you can then make the changes. Uh, you can verify it with your lab data, but then crucially, going back to Core Vitals and looking at that uh, improvement with field data. And obviously it takes a bit of time for that to filter through because, uh, as I said, it needs to be, uh, you know, reached a certain threshold. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a, I think that's a key mm. point to really mention. Like, don't expect this to shift overnight, right? And suddenly you might see the improvement yourself on the site as you're clicking around and doing your own tests or getting other members of the team. But actually seeing that data come through on Search Console there's going to be a delay there because of the thresholding with the user data, right? Yeah, and that'll depend on how much traffic you get to those groups of pages. So, uh, yeah, some people may not see this straight away. You, um, you're absolutely right. Um, and, yeah, Google recommends in that process um, it's just an iterative process. So, like you said, um, you fix one thing. Yeah, you might identify another issue. Um, you can fix that. But yeah. then gradually um, those opportunities might become fewer and fewer. Um, so, yeah, so I think a big takeaway there is, yeah, Google's recommendation. Follow this iterative process um uh, and build that culture of testing and learning that's a, that's a key part of uh, of what they recommend i think that's a good lesson for seo in general right yeah. testing and learning and probably some... for everything <laughs> just SEO. Yeah, that's true yeah <laughs> life in general yeah. always do testing if you can a b test your life go and a b test your life <laughs> uh, if you want to hear more about seo testing funnily enough i did an episode of that with ryan jones a few months ago so go and check that out listeners i'll put links for everything including the google official announcement and recommendations and all that kind of stuff for INP in the show notes, so please do go and check that out. Thank you for joining me, Seb. It's Thank been you. an absolute been a pleasure. pleasure. Yeah. Uh, how can people follow you on the internet? We will follow you across LinkedIn, Twitter, all that kind of stuff, and keep yeah. up with what you're up to. Mainly LinkedIn. Uh, I do have a Twitter account, um, but I realised actually one of my last tweets was when I was last uh, in the studio. <laughs> um, that was a while ago. That was before anyone had heard of the word furlough and lockdown. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn's the place to catch me, and then I've got a website, sebatkinson.com. Uh, to be honest, it's quite bare bones. So yeah, LinkedIn probably. <laughs> How's your IMP on sebatkinson.com doing? Mm, no That's comment. Nice. <laughs> I don't think I get enough users actually. So uh, yeah, let's not worry too much about that one. <laughs> <laughs> we won't worry about that one too much. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, man. Thanks so much. that wraps up this episode of search with candor i hope you very much enjoyed my guest and the conversation this week i really really enjoyed catching up with seb i think i mentioned in the episode uh, i i talked about how we met at search norwich for the first time but i'd heard a lot about him i know he's worked with brendan our head of seo and worked with mark our seo director before as well and is very well regarded in the industry as somebody who knows their stuff and i think he kind of proved it in this episode right it was a really really interesting conversation about INP, how to action some of that stuff, how to understand the data you're going to get in Search Console and get the results you need from the people you need to work with to action this kind of thing, right? Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week. We have a slew of guests and specials coming up throughout the rest of the year. We're pretty much ready to finish off the year, getting up closer to episode 100. Next week's episode will be Mark and I doing a recap of all the latest seo news and all that kind of stuff and then a couple of weeks after that 
we will get to episode 100. I know, crazy, right? We'll be getting to a, uh, maybe a recap, maybe a special episode talking about, maybe we'll get into the year that has been in it and discuss everything 2023 for the podcast, for SEO, and what you can expect from the podcast going forward, because we've got some pretty big announcements and some pretty big plans for 2024, which I am working on as we speak. So thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes. Like I said, Mark and I will be back a couple of times before the end of the year. I also have Morgan Petrov and Petrikus Hersheg as well coming up before the end of the year. Until then, thank you so much for listening and have a lovely week.